Hi there. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 76. And she says, oh, well, what do you do? I said, well, I've got the shortbread cookies right across the way here. She says, oh. Well, I'm the person you need to talk to. No way. Way. Hi, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, and now it's time to light it up. Welcome to Gift Biz Unwrapped, your source for industry-specific insights and advice to develop and grow your business. And now, here's your host, Sue Monheit. Hi there, I'm Sue, and welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Whether you own a brick-and-mortar shop, sell online, or are just getting started, you'll discover new insight to gain traction and to grow your business. And today, I have joining us Eric Ryan of Willow's Shortbreads. After 28 years of fighting the stress of corporate America, Eric joined the growing ranks of corporate expatriates and took on the challenges of running a small business. Willis Shortbread is a family-owned and operated business located just north of Nashville, specializing in handmade shortbread and savory cheese cookies. Willis currently offers over 20 varieties in their all-natural, all-butter products and is featured in gourmet and specialty shops, subscription boxes, and private labels all across the country. Willis Shortbread has been featured in numerous publications, including Southern Living Magazine, and winning their prestigious Best of the South Award in 2015. They've also been featured on Unwrapped 2.0 in December of 2015. What an exciting business, Eric. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sue. Glad to be here. I like to start out every episode by having us learn a little bit more about you in a creative way, and that is by having you describe your ideal motivational candle. So if you were to do that, what color would that candle be, and what would be the quote? Oh, wow. You're making me think this early in the morning. It's <laughs> painful, painful, painful. You are the one who said we had to do this early, so you don't get out of that so easy. <laughs> no, no, I'm a morning person, believe me. Color-wise, I don't know if color of candle really matters. I think, you know, I guess the fragrance matters more to me than the color, so I need something that is soothing, you know, soothing fragrance that's not overly... Okay, it smells like Old Spice. Oh, Old Spice. Old Spice. I'm kind of a old school type guy when it comes to that. So, so, so like the gotta... aftershave. Old, like the aftershave. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Now, the new stuff is no good. The old, the old stuff is the one you want. <laughs> so what would be the quote on that candle that smells like Old Spice? This is from a song that I like, and it's, it's a very simple quote. It's breathe in, breathe out, move on. And it related to Dramatic Hurricane Katrina. And it's just, you know, hey, you just got to take a deep breath, breathe out, keep going. And that, to me, describes a lot, especially in small business. Yeah, you're right. You can't just dwell on problems because I think as an entrepreneur and running your own business, there are going to be problems every day. Oh, <laughs> oh you yeah. just have to tackle them, get over it and carry on, like you said. There's a, there's another little one here and I've got one over on the wall. I'm going to go over here because... This is by some old German guy. It goes back to like 1800s. And this quote goes, whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So the thing is, you may be hesitant to start something, but once you start, you go. 
So right. if you've done all your prep work and you're going, oh, well, if I can just get this done or that done, then I can get going with it. But the thing is, the boldness comes from starting. Once you start, things start going, you know, falling into place. Have you ever run into people who say, well, I'm going to write that book or, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a business, you know, and it's always in the future, but it never actually happens. And I totally agree with you in terms of getting started. I think that's the hardest thing. So yeah. Just taking that very first step. Yeah, we all have dreams. I mean, yep. oh, I'd like to do that. Well, okay, go do that. Right. Oh, but I can't do that. I got to do this and I got to do that. Then you don't want to do that bad enough. Right, right. Or you're fearful. You're just afraid to take or you don't know the first step to take, which is also possible. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, you know, doing what you're doing here. People have a resource. If I'm starting a business, well, maybe I need to hear from pe more people who do this. Okay. So, Eric, take us back to what Willis starts with, because that's a really interesting story, and then how you integrated into the business. Okay. Yeah. Um, Willa Allen, the lady who started Willis Shortbread, is my sister-in-law's mother-in-law. Sister-in-law's so, mother-in-law. Okay, yeah, got it. Which, got which it. <laughs> for, for, the, uh, for the uninformed of us, it's my wife's sister's husband's mother. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, a relative. And, uh, Let's just yeah, go with a relative. <laughs> distant relative. So I had this business. She had started from out of her home kitchen over in uh, the Highlands of North Carolina back in the mid-'70s, and had grown it to be a fairly nice business. I mean, they had – it was probably a half-million-dollar-a-year type business. Uh, that they had grown it to, had a nice location, um, pretty good client base. Well, Willa's husband had retired, and she was, you know, getting kind of tired of just doing it every day and, and whatnot. So she decided to sell the business. Well, her son and I and our wives, who are sisters, cooked up this great idea. Why don't we take the company over, and we can move it over here to Nashville, where we are and run it as a part-time. Think how much fun that would be. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Yeah, just shoot me now, get it over, bang. Um, so, and at the time, it was like, yeah, great. I mean, we all had regular careers. The wives were both sisters. Uh, Clark was an engineer. Um, and, you know, I was doing my sales gig, just fat, dumb, and happy. And so we did. And in uh, summer of 2006, we kind of loaded everything up on a couple of trucks, brought it over here, uh, and set everything up in the in the luxurious building I'm sitting in right now, which is a converted uh, industrial strip mall. I mean, she obviously gave you the recipe. Did she teach you how to make the cookies, or how how did that transition happen? <laughs> That's funny. Well, the wives went over and did uh, two days of cookie school. They called it over, ah. in, and before we moved everything out of there, so they went and watched and actually got to play around with it. And of course, her son had helped out there at the in the company when, as he was in high school and stuff in college so he basically knew the basics of it so we brought it on all over here and said well, how difficult can it be well yeah good luck two things first of all yeah you may have a recipe but if you don't know how to do it it's difficult what is the texture you're trying to get uh, what temperatures do you need to be working at oh hey butter's better cold no not when you're baking it Oh, interesting. And those are little tricks of the trade that either get passed on or you have to learn. You learn. Um, the uh, depositor that we have, this is the machine that physically makes the cookies. There's a video that I think you're going to put a link on to here that shows our old uh, Cookie King. It's a hand crank wire cut depositor that basically I cranked this thing by hand for over 10 years. Willis said early on, that thing is not a science, it's an art. 
And, you know, you blow that off. You think you know everything. You're smart. But then when you start doing it, it's go, why do these things not look right? Why don't they fall right? And Oh, interesting. Look, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a technique. And it's uh, learning a flip of the wrist. Or if the dough's falling this way, you can adjust this. Or you change how you drop them. It, it, it's, and it, it takes years to learn that. Now, this is significant because if some of our listeners are thinking that they might acquire a business instead of starting something themselves... Mm-hmm. Is there anything hindsight? Now, again, it was in family, so you knew you had access to Will if you if you had any questions, right. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But is there any advice you'd give our listeners if they're looking at acquiring a business that you've learned now hindsight after taking it over? Yeah, definitely spend as much time as you can learning the actual process uh, and watch it, uh, participate. If they'll let you come in and physically do it, oh, by all means, uh Please take advantage of every bit of that you can get. It, it definitely will flatten out that learning curve. So much trial and error. I pity the people who got our first cookies. <laughs> and unfortunately, it was our largest customer at the time. But, you know, everybody goes through that learning process. So it's not like you start a business and then you just jump to perfection and winning the best of the South award and all of that. You know, you have to go through these processes in these phases. So I think it's a really good conversation to have because you can hear what Eric's saying. I mean, he was a professional from the corporate world. He had someone who could train them who was in the family. So what better in terms of a situation for wanting the best for the product moving forward, yet still there's a learning curve and you have to go through probably those still very delicious cookies, but not shaped properly or, you know, whatever it was right in the beginning. But that's how you get to the point of perfection with your product is by taking that time, going through those phases and learning what you have to do. And it sounds to me like, Eric, because I have watched that video and you and I met years ago when you were having trouble with your shoulder from all that cranking, right? Oh, yeah. But it sounds like it's really, it's the feel for the machine. And I know now you've upgraded and replaced that machine, I believe. I just want to underline this for everybody that it's a process. You don't go from nothing to perfection right away. So be gentle with yourself and understand that it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, we were fortunate that, uh, you know, Willis Sun was very into the physical business side of it, the financials, getting everything set up as far as the system. We went from a very antiquated bookkeeping system and upgraded into the that time QuickBooks and state of the art having to transfer all this old programming and everything over so have somebody who can get that then you have to really start drilling down into and it's one of the things that that I did from my past was be able to, to develop spreadsheets and and look at you know actual costs and being able to take things and say okay well we need to do some pricing adjusting here or quantities something's not jiving and find out where you need to be. So you're not just taking, like, we came in with existing price levels that Willa had been using. And we rode with those for a while, but then we, you got to keep a very close eye on your cost and watch your pricing. And, you know, unfortunately for us, you got to also stay within a market, you know, price level. Right. I think for everybody, I mean, you had a different layer that people already existing customers already knew a certain pricing schedule from you guys. Um, from the past, but you always have to be adjusting and changing and, you know, your costs change too. So the price of your product changes. Exactly. Let's talk more about the pricing and how you made your adjustments. Did you go back to some of the existing 
customers and then have to adjust their rates at some point? Yeah, pricing, you have to. Now, one of the things that Willa had done for the last year or so of the business is that she knew she was going to be exiting this. So they were taking a very close look at their costs and had done things like started using margarine instead of butter, using more and more margarine into the product because, you know, it's a dollar a pound then versus $3 a pound or $2 a pound, whatever it was. That's one of those decisions that you have to make. They still had a flavor profile that was right. But what I'm trying to get to here is that you have to recognize the niche you're trying to go into. All right, we had, yes, we had an existing customer base, but if we're going to grow it, what are we going to do? And one of the things I had to do at that point was to look at the product itself. Willa had brought in and started using margarine, um, using the lowest end of flour, and just done some things to, to drive as much cost out as possible. Mm. My vision for the company was not that, because you're, if you're taking your price down, if you're trying to sell price and compete with Nabisco and all these other people, you're out of business. Right. You can't compete with them. All right? They can kill you, and they don't even know that they stepped on you. And when we started, this whole all-natural, clean products, as you will, if you will, that, that are so big right now, the Whole Foods and all that thing, they were just really getting a handhold in this. We didn't have a lot of places to go sell our product. The whole thing with the, with the all-natural product is that the market didn't really exist in a big form like it does now, but you could see it was out there. Mm. And the eye opener was we had a meeting with Whole Foods and they sampled our product. They said it tastes very good. They took one look at the ingredients and they said, oh, margarine. Eh, can't do that one. Uh, your sugar's okay. Uh, you're using an enriched flour. We see that. That's eh, not a deal breaker, but we really don't like that. And, you know, they just basically ripped my product to shreds. And I walked away from that meeting and go, you know what? If I'm going to play, I got to make some changes. So that was the big eye opener to get rid of all the margarine. We went to an unbleached, unenriched, unbromated flour, whatever bromating is. I don't know what that is still <laughs> to this day, but we are un, whatever that is, and cleaned up and decided to go down this natural path. So we cleaned all the recipes out, all back to all butter. Everything was all natural and just started really pounding that in as our core. So now we had a fantastic tasting product that was delicious. People raved over it. It was clean. And that's my differentiator against Nabisco, who's using hydrogenated oils and all the other crap that people are saying, that's ah, going to kill you. Right. So now I can say, yeah, you can have a cookie. And it's actually got good stuff in it. A couple of things I want to make mention of here that Eric's talking about is he went out and did market research, okay? So gift biz listeners, if you have certain customers that you're looking to attract, don't even think about selling them at first. Go in, show your product, and see what the response is. So Eric was really smart because he went into a big name, listened to what they had to say, took that feedback, and what happened? This ended up being his differentiating feature because natural was just coming on the market at the time. So he would have be then one of the first to provide this totally different than what a lot of his competitors were doing. So that's number one. The other thing that I really like about what Eric's talking about here is he placed 
a mark in the sand, if you will, that he was not going to compete on price. He was going to compete on quality. He upgraded all of the cookies in terms of the ingredients, and then he could go after a different type of market. So all of these things are things for you to consider with your product, if you're in baking consumables, but also if you create scarves or jewelry, you know, what kind of yarn are you using? Is it the high grade, top quality? or more medium range and either is fine it's just a matter of you need to decide who you are as a business and what your product represents as a business so okay eric back to this again how did you start integrating in all of the different flavors of products and start expanding the product line when we took the company over willa had her core four or five that were her originals and most of those to this day are still some of our best sellers. Okay. I mean, our number one seller is still our original classic shortbread. Mm-hmm. Will's original recipe, 40-something years old. But she had flavors in there such as a ginger. It was a crystal, oh, crystallized ginger. There may have been a niche market for it. In fact, I've still got some crystallized ginger here in our freezer from those days. There was an oatmeal raisin that was a nice one, but it didn't kind of fit in to where we were going with our niche. We did them enough times to realize it was a mess. There was also a, uh, a peanut butter chocolate chip that they did. Several flavors that were just kind of dated, if mm. you will. So, you know, we're looking at packaging. We're looking at flavors. Uh, the packaging at that time was very dated. White tins, uh, very stark, you know, almost sanitary looking packaging. Recognizing early on, we need to expand on this. Probably uh, uh, one of the first ones we did uh, was actually in the ginger snaps. That was what I needed something for the holidays, something new. So we created a ginger snap and it's award-winning cookie for us. In fact, we just baked yesterday. The place actually still smells like ginger snaps in here this morning. I wish you could bring that across. Well, we did ginger (laughs) ginger snaps and pumpkin spice yesterday. Ooh, I don't know about that one. Well, no, you don't because you don't call me anymore. (laughs) I'm here now. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, you know, and pumpkin spice. How do these things come about? All right, some of the ones we've done, uh, uh, we've done a pumpkin spice. We do a blackberry jam, and that was kind of in response to a customer request. Let's talk about that blackberry jam. The original thing for the Blackberry Jam actually comes from a private label customer, and that is Blackberry Farm up in East Tennessee. A very you know, five-star place, uh, very, very well-respected. Uh, you can't even get on property unless you're invited. Let me stop you right here. This is what happens when you niche your product. So you heard what what Eric was just saying is, you know, the top quality people are coming to him to create the cookies that wouldn't be happening if he hadn't upgraded and decided that he was going to go after the high quality businesses, you know, the the upper scale businesses because of the product. Okay, Eric, I just wanted to jump in with that. Yeah, well, interesting thing on that and where your your listeners are going, well, I have my traditional ways to market. This is how I'm going to go find my new business. The way we found BlackBerry Farm, okay? I knew where they were. They're up in East Tennessee. They're not far from my daughter's house. I had been there physically to their location, taking samples in and really not knowing who to get them to. You know, I got a name and I took them and said, here's some samples, you know, kind of talk. Well, no, they're all busy. Leave the samples. We'll get back to you. Well, really never heard back. Called, did a follow-up, said, that's hey, nice. Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll consider it. There is a biscuit festival in Knoxville, Tennessee every spring. It's the International Biscuit Festival. 
Now, why would a shortbread cookie guy be at a biscuit festival in Knoxville, Tennessee? <laughs> it doesn't make much sense, does it? <laughs> With the exception of it's in downtown Knoxville. Uh, you've got a, a nice clientele. You've got a lot of people coming to see biscuits and taste biscuits and do other things. So we get into this thing. And I'm very fortunate that I'm beside Mass General Store, which is another very nice company. And I'm, you know, we're going through, we're selling some product. It's been a good day. And set up across from us, Blackberry Farm actually has a tent set up and they're doing their stuff. Oh. So I've been trying to get a hold of them, never really done well. So I, at the end of the festival, kind of towards the end, I go over there and I said, introduce myself. And I said, I've been trying to get our products in and get somebody to, to recognize us, you know, up there or just at least get an audience. And she says, oh, well, what do you do? I said, well, I've got the shortbread cookies right across the way here. She says, oh, well, I'm the person you need to talk to. No way. Way, definitely. <laughs> so I said, well, well, step into my office. So I bring her over and, you know, we have a wildflower honey and some, you know, a couple others that I brought specifically for this. And she said, oh, those are really nice. And she said, can I get some, some you know, sample of those? Certainly. So I take her, you know, give her a few boxes of samples and get her information. The next day, we my leave my daughter's house. We're going to go up into the Smokies, up into Gatlinburg for the day. And I have literally just passed the road that goes down to Blackberry Farm. And the phone rings. Well, it's this lady from Blackberry Farm. And she said the 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 chef and the owner have tasted these and they're very interested in working with you. I'm like Okay, I can turn around right now. She said, no, don't do that. So they listed what they wanted to do. And we got samples up. They started selling our product as it is, our packaging. And oh, wow, that's within, awesome. And yeah. with, within a few months, they said, can we private label this? And now we are. In fact, I've got, you know, next Monday we have another release. So now I'm shipping out 300 boxes every other week for Blackberry Farm. Now, is that recipe proprietary to them now they want to do things that are on their property that's their big draw mm -hmm. right anything sure. they do if they're doing meats they've cured them on site if they're doing preserves they've preserved it on stuff they've taken off site for the most part so i said fine i mean what do you got he said well we got blackberry jam i said let's try it so they provided me samples of the jam played with the recipe a few times and it's like wow, this is really great. They loved it. Then they came back and threw a thing and says, we want to use sorghum flour in it. And for those of you who have never worked with sorghum flour, it is not fun. So we had to go back and tweak it again. And we had finally, after six, eight months, we got it perfected. Now, during this time, yes, they were buying product, but we keep tweaking it in. So now we have a product that is the Blackberry Jam using their Blackberry Jam. To carry that into my world, where my generic people are i've got a jam company here in nashville that we deal with a friend of mine for an electrical business he he makes jams jellies and all that very successful with it so for my regular use customers i'm using his blackberry jam and just labeling it as a blackberry jam shortbread so now i'm still using local very well done very high quality product in it but that's how you develop the little niche things because here you know that you've got a winner because blackberry farms loves it now you bring it into your regular thing. Right, right. Wonderful story. I'm so glad we got on this topic. This was perfect, perfect. One of the other ones we started off with, and this is another one that shows how these things can develop. As I, I've told you, we've done the market in Atlanta, which is a great way if you're selling a product, 
if you can get into some of these larger wholesale markets, if that's where you're trying to go after is wholesale business, you need to find at least one or two of those that you can get to, to get exposure, if nothing else. Um, we were two boosts down. I think it was the first year that we were actually back in Atlanta with the company, two boosts down from a little company called Savannah B. And those of you who are familiar with it, I mean, they've just grown exponentially. Uh, uh, Ted, the owner, is they're, they're doing the Bisco commercials now for things. Uh, but one of their honeys was a Tupelo honey. And this stuff is absolutely fantastic. I was never really been exposed to it. So I'm walking by all the time. I'm sampling their honey. And I go, wait a minute. This would be really good on one of our cookies. So I go back and get them. I swirl some on it. And I'm like, oh, man, y'all got to try this. So their people loved it. We loved it. I went back and started playing around and developed a Tupelo honey shortbread. It took a couple years, but the next thing they're saying, yeah, we'd like to do that. Can we get those uh, for us? So we developed there again. This is Savannah B. A lot of good exposure. They did a private label. They sell them primarily during the holiday season at that time, a tin. And they sold like crazy. Their, their customers love them. And so what portion of your overall sales mix is that kind of product versus to the general public? It's a small portion. It would probably be 10% or less. But because, it introduces you into different ingredients that you could then go out and not duplicate, but do something similar that then could be for the general population. Exactly. So we take the Tupelo, which we done primarily for Savannah Bee. And I said, well, all right, this honey works really good. And then as you learn about different honeys and their different flavor profiles, we go, oh, well, let's try some other honeys. So we did a local wildflower honey that I get five miles from here at the bakery, direct from the beekeepers. The taste is completely different between that and the Tupelo. Okay, now we're on to something. So now, you know, we went from doing the Tupelo over Savannah B just as a fluke to get started doing it. Now we offer four different honeys. I have private labeled different honeys. In fact, we still do for um, uh, Monticello. We actually make cookies for Monticello using honey that is produced on the Monticello estate. And they private label that. Beautiful. Eric, we've been talking a lot about things that have been great and working well and the business building and all of that. Bring us to a place where there was a real struggle in this journey of developing and reestablishing Willa's shortbread. Something challenging, something that was really frustrating, and how did you overcome it? <sighs> um, Love the big sigh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. There's so many. This is a very frustrating thing, Sue, and, I, and you were... You were aware of this. You were part of it. One of the markets I identified with our packaging, and we went, we, we redesigned our Willow's packaging. We went to Generation 2, which is very slick, very colorful, very bright, nice gable top box, looked really nice. And I said, this is perfect for the basket industry. Look at this. Basket people got to love it. And we had one or two local ones here that embraced it and did it. So... And I used your product in my business. You did. You, you most certainly did. Yes. <laughs> so I go to the National Gift Basket Convention, and I've got huge expectations. This has got to be big. This is the National Gift Basket Convention. There are people from all over. How great is this going to be? I get there, and yes, it's a nice setup. There's nice displays. A lot of people, as far as vendors, set up to show their wares and hopefully take orders. And when the basket people come in, they don't buy like, what is up? Well, you know, I see baskets everywhere, FTD, all these people. Well, then you realize that this is pretty much a cottage industry. 
they were so entrenched with buying the salty 25-year shelf life stable product that I was a radical concept. Oh, no. Well, four-month shelf life? No, can't touch it. I mean, it won't work. I need something I can sit there and sell a few at a time. And, you know, there was the few people like you who said, hey, wait a minute, I can do that. It may be a seasonal item. I can bring it in peak times, but we can do it. And I went back. I did the second year thinking, well, maybe that was a fluke. But then you realize, okay, this is a market that is not me. Uh, the market is, does not exist in the way I anticipated that it did. So you've got to make a change and pull out of that. Right. The other thing is just finding those markets. When we first took this over, there was not this gourmet craze, this food craze that's out there. The Food Network, if it existed, was, very, was in its infancy. You didn't have all these celebrity chefs and even locally. I mean, Nashville right now has got this huge, wonderful food scene. When we started, there was probably one other company in town that did the sort of thing we did. Where did you go to it? Because you didn't have these gourmet shops and all these stores and all these people. I mean, I busted it. I traveled. I visited every town that I thought we could do business in. And, you know, to scrounge up enough of this new business to, to give us some measure of growth. I actually like the story of the gift basket experience because it shows that you do have to try some things. And then mm -hmm. when you see that it's not going to work, don't just keep doing it over and over no, again. No, 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 back out Release of it and go yeah. and do something else. Right. Well, you know, a couple things all kind of mesh together to finally get us to a successful point. Number one is when we took the company over ourselves. The other partners got out of the business after my demise from Westinghouse. So I was free to, to do more. The other partners, you know, they, they didn't want to spend money. Mm -hmm. And to do it, we had packaging and said, well, we're going to run this packaging till we die. I said, no, we're not because it ain't working. I mean, look mm -hmm. at it. So we redid our packaging. We cleaned the product up. We got everything done. And that coincided with this explosion in the food industry. So we were the right product, the right packaging at the right time. Kind of the moon and stars aligned there for a while. Right. So it was really good. If, if people don't think packaging is important, You've seen our, our new package. We went from a nice, slick, glossy, nice-looking box, which the guy who does our, who did our most recent packaging had looked at for a couple of years before he actually did our work, and he said, it looks very nice, but it looks like it could be Nabisco. And I'm like, uh. He said, is that what you want to do? I said, no, it's not us. I said, well, think about that. So when we redid it, we went to the, this vintage look, the craft boxes, the vintage look that kind of fit what was evolving. I mean, it wasn't big then, but you could see it was coming. The first show we went to with Atlanta in this, we have a nice display, very nice, big, impressive display of these boxes set up with all our product in it. And I'll never forget, day one, this lady comes by. We'd only been open for about an hour. But she walks by, she turns around, she looks at it, and she says, we've got to have this. What is it? Uh, just by the box. And I called up, I've done the design work. I said, it's working. Did you do any test, like focus groups, or how did you know that that was the right box? You really don't. The concept of the box originally was I wanted to emulate a beehive. So the way it does, and it folds on the top, and it's kind of like the lid on a, on a commercial beehive. The designer sat us down with several books of vintage packaging. We knew we wanted to go vintage. We knew we wanted to go craft because that was, you could see the market was drifting that way. 
Plus, it aligns with your all-natural exactly. ingredients. Yeah. And, yeah, and with the handcrafted, with the small... Uh, the small batches and all that. Yeah. They gave us books full of old vintage packaging. So go through here and pick out ones you like. That gave us a thought process of where we were going. They took that input, and the girl who actually did the design work is just an absolute genius. Legia, if you hear this, rock on. You're great. We tweaked the design. It was probably a six-month process, actually, from concept to when we had the first finished look. The other thing we went with when we were doing this, now this is critical. If you're talking packaging, flexibility, it's a big word. Our previous stuff was, like I said, very slick, four-color process box. When I ordered them, I had to order 10,000 of each. That was back the minimum to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if so I brought each flavor, each flavor, of each, of each each flavor, size, of each, each size. Well, we only had the one size in the box. Okay. okay. All right. So, but it was, I mean, you're talking 10,000 of each, and the minimum order is probably 20,000. So I'm looking at 20,000 boxes every time I turn around. Well, 80 20 rule, guess what? If you got four flavors or six flavors, two of those are going to be moving a lot faster than the others. Which turns out to be very true. So you're constantly watching your inventory because these boxes are moving real fast. These aren't. Well, I've got to order 20,000 boxes, but I'm only out of one title. What do I do? Well, okay, so I'm going to split that up. I'm going to hope that these do better here. And then if you add a new flavor, uh, you've got the design work. Everything that has to go into that to create a new one. And then you're out another 10,000 boxes. Well, if it doesn't sell good, guess what? You're sitting on boxes. I have thrown away, no telling how many boxes in my life since I've been here, because it didn't sell. It didn't sell enough or whatever. So flexibility. When we designed this, the whole thing was to have one box. On that box, it has two different labels. One of them is a flavor label. It's a nice colorful disc. And then the other is the ingredient panel. So now I have one box. That I can buy 20,000, 30,000 at a time, whatever I need. I can get to a nice economical quantity, order them, bang, no question. Labels. Labels are relatively inexpensive. And we have the capability to actually print all those labels in-house. So I can, if I want to develop a flavor, well, we went with this. We knew we had six or seven core products at that time. I forget how many. But we went ahead as part of the initial design process. We designed all those flavor labels for those as well. Yeah, so you can pivot at any time. I can pivot, yeah. Now, if I want to add a new flavor, let's go back, right? So let's go back to the example of the Blackberry Jam. So I've done this for a court, for a private label, and I'm thinking, hey, this could work. Now, for me to create that, all I have to do is design a new label or get it designed. I call it my designer say, hey, I want to do Blackberry Jam. Boom. In two days, she sent me another label over. It can move very quickly. The ultimate example of that, we um, one of the big crazes here in Nashville now is the hot chicken. Okay? I mean, it's big. Everybody's doing hot chicken. Well, we have a spice supplier that I use who has a hot chicken spice blend. And it's really good. It's hot, 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 hot. So we've been working with them, and we've done a few sample test batches, and it's like, hey, we're on to something here because I needed another savory flavor. I had the opportunity to do a beer festival. Remember, we were talking about going to places you don't normally go to? Shortbread cookies at a beer festival? Is that going to work? I don't know. Let's go try it. So I wanted to take a second savory flavor. So I called my spice guy. I said, hey, I need a couple pounds of your spice. Okay, no problem. And he already had a label designed by my label designer that they used on their product. I said, you mind if I tweak that a little bit? Because I don't want to put hot chicken on my thing. He said, nah, fine, go ahead. So I called the designer. I said, all right, 
he's good with this. I'm going to change it from Nashville hot chicken to Nashville hot cheddar. Ah. He said, oh, great idea. He said, have it to you in a minute. Within 30 minutes, here's my new label design. So now I have my new flavor labels. Ingredient panel is very easy to do. Tweak a few things in that. It's ready to go. We bake up a nice batch of them. We go to the beer festival. Now I have a brand new flavor in 24 hours that didn't exist the day before. And I'm sitting at a beer festival now with the new flavor. And guess what? Very good acceptance. They love the packaging. They love everything else. They said, bang, guess what? There's my new flavor. That's how quick it can happen. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You're adjusting your product to the event, but then you're also getting some trial, some research on whether it's going to go or not. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and flexibility. Now, we've taken mm -hmm. that same concept with the box. As you look again at the website, we take the same basic design and we've moving that concept into the packaging we do for our tins. So now I do a base label for the tins that use the same flavor labels that we use on the boxes. All right, Gift Biz listeners, I am making a decision because after all, it is my show. <laughs> we are not going to do the reflection section for time purposes because... Because <laughs> they talked about... No, 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 because I do want to ask you one more question. So I want to get into one more topic. And so all Gift Biz listeners, stick with us because I'm sure you can agree this is super informative. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit, Eric, about what happened with getting into Southern Living Magazine and then also being on Unwrapped. Not this uh, Unwrapped, the other, the yeah, television yeah. Unwrapped. The 2.0. <laughs> the 2.0. So 2 how, like PR-wise, what did you do or how did, how did all that come about? We had been featured in Southern Living five or six years ago with our lemon pecan shortbread. So we had a, a contact base. Wait, so had they come to you? Did you present it to them? How did... We, no, uh, Southern Living's headquarters are just in Birmingham, Alabama. And you know, I, they're again, this is in that stage where you're trying to find business. You want market. So you have to understand how they work. I had actually contacted them. I had taken out an ad in their holiday gift guide. And doing some other stuff, which was a complete and total bust. If you were thinking about doing that, call me first. But it allowed me some contacts. So if I'm going through Birmingham, Alabama, going to the beach or wherever I'm going, I stop in, I drop a little package off at the front desk and say, hey, can you get this to so-and-so or whoever's doing your magazines now? So if I had a new flavor, somebody just drop it by. So they were doing a feature on lemon, the feature of this page that there was lemon yellow and it was could be yellow paint it could be a yellow dessert or whatever but they picked our lemon pecan shortbread to put in there boom quick feature where that was great so we had a basic contact last year i made a decision to bring on a pr firm for a little while they're so tough they're so expensive but uh, you know can they be worth it they did some nice work Forth, and I think one of the things was get to a little bit more exposure. Now, Southern Living, like I said, we've been doing this long. I don't attribute that to the PR guy. Unwrapped, I attribute to the PR guy. They chose our uh, Tupelo Honey Shortbread. So they, they have a Best of the South Awards, and they actually called us up because I had forgotten that this was going on. I get a call from one of the writers or whatever at Southern Living and says, hey, uh, the Best of the South Awards are ending next week. Can we get a sample of some of your stuff in here? I went, oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they knew us. We're on their radar. And it, yeah. there again, that's a lot of long time stuff doing that they finally said, hey, you know, and somebody may have been in Savannah, Georgia or someplace and tried some of our stuff or been there and said, hey, wait a minute. 
Willis needs to be in here. Call him up. So we got our samples down to him, and sure enough, they loved them. And well, I think the learning here, Eric, is you need to be out and about. You need to be sharing your product. You need to be seen. To get any type of recognition, someone has to know about you. So your idea of just dropping off product is perfect. You know, anyone who is listening who has some type of consumable, get your product out there. PR guy. And use them, use them wisely. If you're going to bring them in, have a set of goals day one. Not just, well, we're going to put you out on uh, Facebook a lot, or we're going to tweet you a lot, or we're going to send out samples every so often. Because it is very, it's very expensive. Uh, it can be worth it, but make sure that you are on the same page as the PR guy who's promoting you. Because if you're somewhere else, which is where we ended up being, we end up being different places completely. I mean, are you going, no, well, you know, we know PR, we know what we're doing. I said, well, you may know PR, but you don't know my product. You know, and we had a lot of difficulties, which is why I'm no longer with them. Would you do it again under a different environment? Now, knowing what you know now, would you hire PR yeah. Oh, I'm look. I'm constantly looking for one. You need somebody who is creative. Right now, when I look at our business, we're probably 85% wholesale is where it is. I want to grow my retail side. That's where I see it. So how do I get somebody who can bring me that business? Who understands? Take this back one step. Shortbread cookies. That's something your grandma made. We have no problem with that market group that's 60 years and older. They know what it is. They have no question. These millennials have no clue what a shortbread cookie is. So how do you, and this is what I tell when I'm sitting down with a PR guy and I want to see him. I say, I make a, a cookie, okay? How do I make that cool to somebody who's 28 years old and got disposable income? And then I shut up and listen. And if they go stammer and stutter, well, we're going to put it on Facebook. Okay. How? Now, what are, you, what are you telling them? How do you make it cool to them? Because they got the money. That's right. the market I want. I want those guys that are on the internet because it's very cost-effective business. And that's one of our big struggles right now is getting that. Because I don't understand all the electronic commerce and how that works. I don't know the mindset of millennials. But they got the money. Well, and you want to stay in what you do well. And what you do well is identifying all of these new ingredients because you're connecting up with local people for all the private label and then evolving that type of a concept into a new product. I can hear it in your voice. I mean, that's what you're good at. And you're good at dropping things off. I know you're good in person selling the product because I've seen it several times. So I think you're right in terms of getting someone who knows that. But the idea of goals is really important. Again, another great piece of information that you've shared with us, of course. All right, Eric, we could go so many other places. I have so many other questions, but I think we're going to have to start closing it down because <laughs> we all have to get on to all the hey, other things we'll that do we're another, doing. Hey, we'll do another one. You there know, you go. Yeah. There you we'll, go. Yeah. But gift biz listeners, you know that you can go over to the show notes page. I'll have all the links. Eric also offered up if you wanted to call him about something. It sounded like you were receptive to that if someone wanted to chat with you. Yeah. We'll have the website up. We'll also have a link that I want you guys to look at. It's a video, really interesting behind the scenes look at his business. For those people who are on the road, maybe they're running or they're actually working in their shops right now while they're listening. Eric, what is your website? 
it's real simple. This, if you'll go Google Willis Shortbread, W-I-L-L-A-S Shortbread. Final thing, I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. This would be your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? It's the uh, check from the person who's buying this business. Okay, so, so that's good. So you have the vision of setting up this business and having it prepared and ready to sell it some, someday. Yes, that, uh, it's the whole goal now. I mean, I, this is not something that I don't think my kids want to take over. This wasn't my dream of what I wanted to do my whole life, but it is what I do. So I want to be very successful at it. And I've become very attached to it to a degree. But if I open that box up and there's a check in there for the right amount of money that I don't have to do this anymore, I, I'll fade off into the sunset nicely and go do other things. And I think that is your goal as well. What do you want to do with your company? Do you want to grow it into something that your kids can parent and do all this wonderful stuff with? Do you want to make a good living and be able to get out of it? My goal right now is to get this to a point where it's so valuable that somebody wants to come buy it. You never know. One of our listeners might just have peeked up their ears a little bit, and you never know. You know I'm not sticking a for sale sign out in front of it, but just like I don't physically have to go out as often now or, or do things. I don't have to go out and get business. Every week now, I've got people that are calling us up going, hey, can we sell your product? I'm like, ah, great, wonderful. I want that same thing. I want somebody to call me up and go, would you like to sell your business? And my first answer is always yes. Because, yeah, I do. You know, I would love to sell it, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to give it away. Well, and you've invested in it. So you're yeah. definitely going to want to sell it to the right person who's going to take the concept, carry on, et cetera. Yeah. Happy with it. And in the meantime, is to keep putting out a quality product here that people want to buy. Eric, thank you so much for coming on, albeit very early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Great information. I really appreciate it. You've taken us down some paths that I did not want to stop because it led to really, really important information for all of our listeners. Wish you continued success. I wish you at some point for that telephone to ring with that purchasing call. Not too soon, though, I have to say. <laughs> and may your candle always burn bright. Thank you. Where are you in your business building journey? Whether you're just starting out or already running a business and you want to know you're set up for success, find out by taking the Gift Biz Quiz. Access the quiz from your computer at bit.ly slash giftbizquiz or from your phone by texting giftbizquiz to 44222. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us for the next episode. Today's show is sponsored by the Ribbon Print Company. Looking for a new income source for your gift business? Customization is more popular now than ever. Brand your products with your logo or print a happy birthday Jessica ribbon to add to a gift right at checkout. It's all done right in your shop or craft studio in seconds. Check out the ribbonprintcompany.com for more information. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.